Thanks for checking out Reader House Author Roundtable. I'm Alice Stockton Rossini. How about a little compassion to start things off? What do you say? Might be something uh, we could all use, right? Violet Staley was glad when she got a good dose of it all of her life, thanks to her mom, a woman who lived to help others. And when she died a few years ago, Violet knew it was time to share her story. The name of her book, Compassion, My First-Hand Account of a Life Well-Lived. I wanted to share something that I know works and it doesn't cost you any money. And um, her life was one lived to help other people. We knew that we were the most important thing. And she just prepared us for life, for school. When we went to school, we could read. We had homeschooling before there was such a thing. And what I have achieved and learned is because of her. I grew up in Pacoima, California. I was where only they would sell to black people. Um, What stands out to me were people that they had never had a birthday party. And she gave them a party. She would take people into the house. We thought they related to us but they just needed a place to stay. She always left one room or somebody that looked like they were hungry passing by the house. She would take them in. It was a day-to-day thing. She fed the homeless in the park, all ages, all colors. She just loved people. And she told God that she wanted to share. And she said that he told her if she would share, she would always have something to share. So we were actually living on the poverty level. We had no idea because we always shared. We always had more than enough. And there was always something for everyone who needed it, food, clothes, place to stay. She prayed for people around the world. She was uh, what they call an intercessor. And people would call, I mean, through the night, you know, for prayer. She just, she felt her life was to serve, to serve other people. Um, have you ever heard of Indie Author Day? Yeah. Yeah, well, they celebrated that at uh, Morgan State University here, and I was able to talk to some students. And um, my sister, she had a book signing for me. So on Mother's Day, I had a book signing here at my house. But I do want to sell the book. I want as many people as can to know that it is possible to treat people the way you want to be treated. That's what she taught us. Don't complain about things unless you're going to do something about it. So community service was just part of what we did. Also in the book, it's about the historical uh, aspects of the time. uh, For instance, when my father died, the doctor told her, asked her, would she like to donate his eyes? And she said, yes. So he, the doctor wanted her to meet the man who received the eyes. Oh. And when the white man saw that she was black, he was angry and just stomped out the office. So those type of things have impact on your lives. I was blessed. I, I, I thank God <laughs> that I was raised that way. You know, I know that was a blessing, and I wanted to share it. Nice job, Violet. Thanks. Doug Whitener, teacher, counselor, school psychologist, principal in Reno, Nevada, battling cancer for 15 years. He could not leave education, so he started writing about it. Now he's published, I Saw an Angel in the Stone, and I Carved to Set It Free.
Uh, well, as I said, when I could no longer work, as I was a principal at that time, I just started writing. And I began to see themes in my writing. And I thought, you know, I could tie all this together. And that would help me as a person grow. But more important, there might be some ideas and some experiences that I'll share that'll be helpful to, to other people. And it's really written for teachers and parents, which is a hard thing to do. It really focuses on helping children to develop interdiscipline, but it starts with good foundations that parents and teachers can, can work on to help children develop. And then it moves into uh, important principles of discipline with a goal of children learning uh, self-discipline, or, or in the book, I call it interdiscipline. And it's very interesting because I, when I first started writing, I think I was mostly focused on teachers. But you know what? The art of parenting and the art of te teaching are not that different. And I began to cross over and realize that I was really writing to teachers and parents at the same time. Well, you know, I was going to ask you for any change to happen with a child. Parents and teachers have to be on the same page, don't they? Yes, they do. They sure do. And how often is that not the case? Especially in today's society, uh, many times it's not the case. And I think there's a, a powerful message there, and that is for teachers to reach out to parents and to remember that parents are their children's first teachers. And at the same time, for parents to become very involved in their children's education. And if I was to highlight two things, and again, this is from my cancer experience. When I returned back to school after surviving my second bout, I had this incredible appreciation for the fact that I've been an educator for so many years and I've been able to witness children growing and developing. And, and so I would say to all teachers and parents, you really need to appreciate your children. You need, you need to step back and, and watch their development and you need to recognize how lucky you are to be a part of that development. And then I think number two, uh, which is a big theme in my book, and that is most uh, child discipline for teachers and parents involves teaching. And in fact, discipline is one of the best opportunities to teach children because they're emotionally involved and we tend to learn things better when we're emotionally involved. So unconditional love, appreciation, and discipline as a teaching function are two critical themes in the book. And uh, I was I was so honored that I was asked to address 200 administrators and the district bought books for all the administrators. So that was powerful to me. And then I've been speaking at quite a few PTA meetings, and that's an avenue for me to reach parents. Actually, uh, I love to speak. And so I, at one point, I looked at the book as a vehicle for speaking, and I'm still looking at it that way because <laughs> I enjoy speaking to groups. That's awesome, Doug, because that love of speaking along with your message, man, I don't know how you can go wrong. Thank you so much. Joe Briggs was a barber in Illinois, hence the title, Sheer, as in S-H-E-A-R, Experiences. True stories, classic jokes, and a chronological trip through five decades of cutting hair. I did. I never went to work for 50 years. Uh, not many people can say that. How have things changed, the barbershop experience? A man walked into a barbershop. It was a place for them to feel comfortable to enjoy the experience this is not against the women it's just barbers were barbers beauticians were beauticians and they worked in separate places 
and things have changed. You don't see many barber shops. So what are some of the uh, jokes you remember? Oh, God. I, I had a, a pastor that came in, and he always had something funny to say and told this joke about this young girl in science class, and they were talking about all the creatures of the sea, and the whale, being the biggest one, also couldn't eat anything very large because their throat is so small. And uh, this little girl says, no, wait a minute. My Sunday school teacher told me that Jonah was swallowed by a whale. And the teacher, not wanting to be, you know, put down by a kid, said, well, that's a nice story, hon, but that's all it is. It's impossible. Jonah couldn't have been swallowed by a whale. And the little girl wouldn't let it go. said, well, I know my Sunday school teacher wouldn't tell me a lie. So when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask Jonah myself and the teacher. Now she's really cooked, you know. She goes, well, what if Jonah went to hell? The little girl says, well... I guess you'll have to ask him. (laughs) (laughs) And then there's some others that are pretty crude, but the stories are, it starts out that my grandmother was the family barber, okay? And uh, she said it's haircut time. Most people kind of scattered. My dad, my grandpa, whoever, because she wasn't that good. (laughs) (laughs) So early on, I said, man, there's got to be a better way of, getting a haircut and not hurt and all that, you know. And one year she got uh, some electric clippers for Christmas because she used the old hand clippers, which I have those actual clippers she used. And the only thing was you got a faster haircut, but it still wasn't good. You know, (laughs) it was still pretty bad. So when I was 12, I had a paper out, and that was the first time I went to a barbershop, and it didn't go over well when I got home. You know, she was kind of disappointed. And I said, Grandma, I was just saving you time. I mean, we had a lot of talks over the years, and she was a great influence in my life and a great woman. And we never talked about that haircut ever again. And then you really so, stick it to her and become a barber. Well, you know what? Nine years later, I was working in that barbershop that I got my first haircut in. <laughs> that would have been 1968. Isn't it funny the way life comes around? Great stories, Joe. Thank you. Maria Kozlowski lives in Idaho, where she's opening a no-kill shelter for dogs and cats, an RN in Germany. Before she moved to America years ago, Maria noticed a need for kids to learn how to treat animals, so she gives them a lesson in her book entitled Miles and His Unlikely Family. There's too much cruelty going on. There's too much abuse going on, and... Animals are disregarded, they're being treated like trash, and I just thought it's best to write my first very gentle introduction to animal care. I get the inspiration from the spirit world. I don't know where it comes from. I just sit down and write. Miles live on the edge of the forest, a discreet distance away from the village, and he lives there with his mom, and his mom dies of a pneumonia. And he is ignorant about this because he's a little fellow, and the animals help him to bury his mom, and then they start taking care of Miles. And they help him to grow up and teach him traditions, like how to do laundry, how to make a fire, how to do gardening, because he has an elk cow, and he's a donkey, and um, well, they help him to, to get along little by little. Yes, this is going to be his animal family. This is why the title of the novel says Miles and His Unlikely 
family. And how do they communicate? Well, Miles can talk with animals. There's a speech between him and the animals. He was born as a very special boy, and um, his mom was always astonished when he went to the fence line by the forest that he conversed with a with an hawk, and she, of course, didn't understand the speech. She was just surprised that the hawk didn't fly away. And then an elk cow came, and he talked with the elk cow, and his mom was surprised about that. And but she was happy that he was like that because he didn't do anything, anything bad in his life. And uh, so he was just more of an animal ch- child, communicating with them. So through Miles, we learn how to treat animals. Yes. So when you open your shelter, then you'll have this book about Miles available for people? Yes. And it will be, and it's, it's already displayed on my webpage, that the book is available through my webpage as a donation towards um, a no-kill shelter for the animals. I write for children to benefit animals. And in the end, children benefit from reading a story. And I think if I reach the right age, they learn something, and, and then I might be very lucky that animals are being treated better in this area where I'm living at. So this is my main concern. Well, somebody should be concerned for all animals, Maria. Thank you. Richard A. Pazazas was a school superintendent in western Massachusetts for more than a decade, making him uniquely qualified to write his book, A Guide to Becoming an Effective Manager, Thoughts for consideration. Well, I was surprised after 40 years in both private and public organizations and being retired for 10, I, I really thought that by now most organizations, corporations, businesses would have managers that really understood effective management theory and applied it and were successful. But I found out during research that there's still a huge gap between what managers should be doing and what they're not doing, which was surprising to me. And, and so with all the knowledge and experience I had, I decided to put together and write a guide that I wish I had when I first started out in my journey to become an administrator, a manager, and a leader. I really wish I had that book to help me through that process. So I wrote something that was uh, simple, less complicated, uh, very different from the normal books that you would, uh, you know, textbooks and self-help books that you would read to help not only individuals who want to become successful managers, but also for the regular employee who need to know what is expected of their managers and their, their leaders. So so your book keeps it simple, which a lot of books don't. What did you see the most glaring mistakes that people are making? Basically, either they don't want to take the time to learn and study the theory and develop themselves professionally, or many of them actually it's it's sad they become very arrogant it's like an aphrodisiac they think that they know everything there is and, and um it it becomes a real problem what is it that you see in employees well they're missing in many cases good direction uh, motivation and acknowledgement you can never run out of enough acknowledgement and rewarding of employees for doing a good job it's one of the key things that employees look for It's a problem if you can't motivate your employees to help meet the goals and feel good about what they're doing. Also, people that want to become, you know, higher level managers, they're in a rush to do that. And it's a long journey. And if you look in, especially at international companies and corporations, 
they spend five to seven to eight years to groom people to come up through their organization to learn the skills and develop the knowledge, but basically be able to learn how to communicate, work with people and motivate people. Right. And I, it's, it's very lacking across the board. So, I mean, you're in a unique position because you, you, you have great credentials. Are you able to go out and do some consulting and, you know, help people become better managers? Yes, basically as some spinoffs in addition, in addition to like book signings and presentations and so forth. I've developed um, two PowerPoint presentations on a journey to becoming an effective manager based on my book. One's a two-hour one because my book basically is a textbook for college and university classrooms. And so I could go into classrooms and present a two-hour PowerPoint presentation that follows my book and what I recommend that uh, students who want to become uh, managers and administrators or want to move up the ladder need to know. And I have a three-hour presentation for uh, corporate corporations and businesses, you know, longer presentations. Wow. Richard, I'd say you're ready to roll. Thank you. Ismani Cerrone works at a law firm in Florida. She's a mom and a caregiver and not one to give up. She's finally finished a book she started six years ago entitled What Made Me Stronger. My story is about a young girl who um, went through things, abused, devastation, homeless, and wanted to give up. But as she got older... She um, found that um, giving up wasn't an option, that there's more to life and to just keep going. Is this your life story? Is this about you? Yeah, it is. And and so how did you hang in there? Uh, God, my faith, I had to believe that everything's going to be okay. And then I do have a son as well. So I wanted him to see that I am strong and that you can get through anything that you go through in life. So that was my biggest thing to not give up because I have somebody who's depending on me. I hit rock bottom when I had my son. Um, I became homeless. I ended up taking him to my mom, and I was living from place to place. And I wasn't really finding work, but I was living with people. And at that point, I felt like I wanted to give up because I didn't feel like I can go no more because I'm staying at this person's house, and I didn't have my child. And I felt like there was a lot on my mom. And... I went harder. I registered in school. I took on um, finding more than one job. And by the grace of God, I was able to get on my two feet where I was able to get my own place, get my son. And from there, I never went back. And I told myself I would never let myself get to the point where I don't have a place to stay because now I need to make sure I keep a roof over his head. And then I lost my father. And my mother was diagnosed with dementia. And I came to a point where I didn't work again. I was in an abusive relationship. People you think are your friends, they're really not your friends. I had to just pray and pray and pray. I want to be able to motivate others that no matter what you go through in life, that there's more to it and there's other people out there who's going through the same thing that you're going through. And that you can talk. You don't have to hold everything in. By holding stuff in, it makes it worse for you. And that I'm not here to judge. I want to do that. I want to be able to do that. You know what? I believe you're going to do just that, Ismani. You really are an inspiration. Thank you. Latasha Breed is a street minister in Houston. She journaled about her relationship with God, how it grew, and the impact it's had on her life in her book entitled The ABCs of Knowing God and His Will. What you would see in it is alphabet. And say, for example, you picked A. You find angels in it. 
as an angel, explained that angels help show the will of God, detail what God's will is for you, and he would praise God and um, show you how to worship. He tells you, um, brothers, to help you know what's happening, help pave your path to um, show you what God's will is. You take this book with you when you're ministering? Yeah. Talk to the people about God and show them that they need a relationship with God in order to thrive in life. And the book helps you in your relationship with God and helps you develop a relationship with God. It's meant for new believers. So after I pray with them the prayer of salvation, then they they take the book for free and um, follow up with me later. Do you feel like it helps? Do you feel like you get through to some people? Yeah, I do. I felt the calling of God up on my life when I was in Bible school and I, I wanted to do something for God. And the, the book seemed like the pivotal point that, that raised, raised me to want to sh- share more about God. So that's where the calling came from. And, um, you know, helping them by praying for them it doesn't seem like enough. I need to show them how to overcome those obstacles in life. Not everybody can do what you're doing. I guess you know that. Yeah. <laughs> I have an uncle that does it too, so I'm out with him on the street doing that. Is this like a something in your family? You said your uncle does it? Yeah, he has a street ministry, so I'm out with him doing that sometimes, and sometimes I'm by myself. All right. Well, be careful out there, Latasha. You're doing great work. Deja Neville just finished her master's in healthcare administration, but she's managed to write most of her life and decided to publish her book, Reflection Ocean, after her dad passed away. Um, I took to writing because I felt like I didn't really have a voice, that I really couldn't express myself verbally. And I was too shy, you know, to speak out. So I started writing. So I had this collection of work and at the moment I saw the page publishing commercial Mm -hmm. and at that moment I was applying to med schools and I was also getting denied from these med schools so I felt like I needed something to kind of pick me up I needed something to feel worthy of myself like a goal or something so I decided to go ahead and publish my poetry it's about 30 in the book it's just a host of poems that was written throughout my life with things that I was going through, with things that other people that I know was going through, and I just put them all together to let everyone know that you're not the only one going through situations. A lot of people in the world, they feel like they're the only ones going through their situations and they feel alone. And I basically wrote this to make sure that people who could be going through those things do not feel like they're alone and that I experience them and other people experience them. It's Reflection Ocean, Confessions of a Female Misunderstood. Yes. Do you feel like you're misunderstood? I do. A lot of the time, yes, ma'am. Why? I'm not, you know, it's one of those things where putting together words is very hard for some people. And the way I put together my words, I it just feels like People do not understand my dialect, intellect. Um, I'm not really sure, you know, but it's just one of those things where when I try to express myself, I have to constantly keep trying to explain myself for people to understand. And then after that, they do not understand. Do you have a short one you'd like to read for us? Let's see. 
Well, this one is kind of short. It's uh, the last poem of the book. It's called Game of Chess. Okay. There's a tug of war on my heart. Do I stay? Should I go? Do the memories follow? When I get there, what I know? Where I am and who I'm supposed to be? In this life full of sin, drowning in this deep red sea. Am I right? Am I wrong? Struggling for acceptance and a place I belong. Trying to figure out, do I flow with the harmony of this song? Or am I offbeat? Do I run and hide or do I run the street? The hole is in place. It's the in-betweens that I can't gather. Picking up the pieces that used to make sense. Looking for just one hint. For whatever, for whether to put it back together or remain bent. They say your past is forgotten and your future is your bliss. But if your future is built on the past, then tell me this. If moving forward is your goal, how was the new able to have a chance built on mistakes of the old? Reality check on your soul. Wake up, clear as day, in your face, black and white. Decision made, path written, I'm about to take flight. Checkmate, your move. Nice, Deja. Very nice. Maybe you can find an open mic night near you or a poetry group where you can share what you're writing and hear what other people are writing about. I mean, you can't go wrong if you're willing to go out and share what you're writing. It's like a musician or an actress, a painter. If you're going to go to all the trouble to put a book together, find a way to share it. Thanks for dropping by the Reader House Author Roundtable. I'm Alice Stockton-Rossini.